This episode of the Duct Tape Marketing Podcast is brought to you by Asana, a work management software tool that we use to run pretty much everything in our business, all of our meetings, all of our product launches, all of our tasks. And I'm going to show you how you can try it for free a little later. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Duct Tape Marketing Podcast. This is John Jance and my guest today is Melissa Agnes. She is a leading authority on crisis preparedness, reputation management, and brand protection. And she's also the author of a book we're going to talk about today, Crisis Ready, Building an Invincible Brand in an Uncertain World. So, Melissa, thanks for joining me. Thanks for having me, John. So what does a brand crisis look like? Brand crisis is any type of negative event that threatens long-term material impact on one to all of the following five things. So here we're looking at people, the stakeholders, and the relationships you share with those people for your business, uh, business operations, the environment, the organization's reputation, and or the organization's bottom line. So any type of negative event that threatens long-term material impact on any to all of those five things. Yeah, and there, we can probably all conjure up an example of where, you know, a company really got in trouble. A lot of times it probably has to do with negative press or certainly stock price falling. Can you give me a couple examples that would, you know, that would help us kind of frame, you know, a brand crisis for an organization? A brand crisis, yeah. So one thing that's worth noting is there's a difference between an issue and a crisis and businesses suffer through issues. I mean, that's a part of business is suffering through issues. Um, the difference, though, is that they're both negative events. One of them doesn't threaten that long-term material impact versus another one that does. And an example that I love to give is because it's just so random and so out of anything that anybody could have ever imagined is, do you remember what happened to Crock-Pot last year? Um, and this is us. I must admit, I do not. No, that's okay. Um, so last year, around actually around this time last year, uh, this is us. So one of the leading, you know, prime time television shows that that airs today. There's over 15 million viewers every single week that tune in as a family, primarily to watch this show. And over the course of you know two years or so, they had been leading up to revealing the story of how one of the most beloved characters on the show, so Jack Pearson, the, the patriarch of the family, how he died, the story of how he died. And finally, on this, whatever day it airs, they they revealed that story. And the story was that, um, you know, Jack is cleaning the kitchen one evening, and it's this beautiful scene, very um, creatively crafted and you see, you know, moments of the family and flashbacks and all of these wonderful moments. And at the end of it, he turns on a, uh, not a crock pot, he turns on a slow cooker, like a very ancient slow cooker that came with a story along with a segment and he goes to bed. And that slow cooker short circuits and sets fire to the house and Jack dies of smoke inhalation. So the completely random part to this is the next day. So again, this was a slow cooker, a generic slow cooker. It was not a crock pot machine. And yet the next day, crock pot woke up to thousands upon thousands of longstanding generational customers taking to social media and saying, oh my goodness, we're going to throw out our crock pot machine and we're never buying from this brand again. 
And, you know, it wasn't just on social. It made it to morning talk shows were talking about it. It made, it was, you know, across um, the continent news. And Stephen Colbert talked about it in his monologue that evening. And the reason being was that the show was so beautifully crafted that everybody who watched it sat there and felt emotionally compelled by the storyline. And then they went to their, you know, to their brains and they went, oh my goodness, we have a crop top machine. I don't want my, my family to die. And so it started this very real, very um, social, right? Relatable, so therefore shareable story, narrative online that people started banding together and fearful together. And their solution was, Crockpot is bad. We will never use the brand again. If we look at this, any organization, so when I said that there's difference between issue and crisis, organizations could easily have looked at this scenario and been like, yo, this is so irrational. Like, this has never happened in the history. This is a fictitious television show. Like, this makes no sense. And yet, Crockpot was smart enough to say, okay, but what is real here? What's real here is that people are profoundly fearful for the lives and safety of their families, the most important thing to them. So if we don't do something about it, we risk losing them. And at the very least, we risk having this negative emotional sentiment attached to our brand, whether it's conscious or subconscious to you know people moving forward. That is a potential material impact. And what I help organizations do and what every single business, whether you're a solopreneur or, you know, a brand that has tens of thousands of employees around the world, is every single business is at risk or vulnerable to a series of high-risk, high-impact, or most likely high-impact issues and most likely high-impact crises. And when you become crisis-ready, you go through the motions of putting your team in a position where you don't just have a plan that's sitting on a shelf that says in a crisis, we're going to grab this plan, but you actually have a team that is able to do what Crockpot did and assess things like the material or the emotional relatability of the situation to assess its material impact. And ultimately, you want to be in a position where whether it's an issue or a crisis, your team instinctively is able and empowered to respond in a way that actually fosters increased trust and credibility in the brand. I think it would be safe to say that, you know, there's a lot more exposure with, I mean, people leapt to Crock-Pot because that was the well-known brand of that, you know, type yep. of uh, appliance. What about an organization that, you know, they don't really have a, a brand that's going to find itself in that kind of situation? I mean, how do they strategically, you know, look at this idea of being prepared? You look at what are your risks. So what, what is it that matters to your business and what are the negative events that you are prone to? And that can be something like um, a supply chain, you know, disaster, catastrophe. It could be a natural disaster that wipes your operations out for a significant period of time that's going to have a massive impact on your bottom line um, and potentially, you know, your, your reputation, your relationship with your stakeholders because they may need to go elsewhere, right? And, and you might lose them. You might lose those clients. Um, it can be anything from having one of your key people are a risk because that's human nature. So one of, you know, a prominent member of your team being arrested on some kind of allegation, right? That's a risk. And so when, what, at what point in that scenario would 
where's the risk there? And at what point would you support that person and stand behind that person? At what point would you need to disassociate your brand from that person and why and what's the best way to do that? So risk is all around us and it's becoming crisis ready. It's just being very in tune with what that means to your business and what's expected of you by those who matter most to your business when something does go wrong and being in a position to meet, if not exceed, those expectations. So I know that in the title, subtitle, you have uncertain world, and I agree, you're <laughs> in an uncertain world. But this sort of feels like a downer to be sitting around thinking about all the things <laughs> that could go wrong. Well, <laughs> yeah, sure, I didn't say that it was going to be, you know, um, jolly, but it's very ne necessary. And here's the thing. When you become, so I really believe, so throughout my book, I have these crisis-ready rules, and I strongly, strongly believe, so the work that I do with my clients is very comprehensive. It's not just about, you know, having this very high-level plan that doesn't serve that sits on a shelf, which is unfortunately status quo today. Um, but we dive deep into understanding the relationship with key stakeholders, the business operations. We find gaps and vulnerabilities that we're able to strengthen that impact the day-to-day -day of business and the regular relationships that you, every business is built on relationships and crisis management is about those relationships. It's about sustaining and maintaining those relationships even in tough times. Um, and the, the way that my brain works is I see risk everywhere. I see mitigation strategies for those risks just kind of intrinsically. And then I see opportunity through the mitigation. So, Yes, it's not it's not the most joyous of, of activities to sit down and talk about all of the ways that your business can sink. <laughs> um, it is necessary. It's smart. It's smart business to do that. It's strategic. But if you look at, so the world crisis of Ebola, for example, was managed because the BBC was smart enough to identify WhatsApp as a very significant communication tool to communicate with West Africans on how to protect themselves in a way that they were not receiving. Everybody else was trying to do the same thing, but nobody was strategic enough um, to look at the opportunity of technology. So there's so much opportunity that comes from when you get past that downer of the negative, then you are able to find some really fascinating and um, opportunistic, strategic ways to augment your business every day by being crisis ready, because after you mitigate the risk comes the opportunity through the mitigation. Hey, as I said in the intro, this is brought to you by Asana. It's a work management software tool that we've been using for a long time, our entire team. It just allows us to be so much more productive, to unify our communication, to keep track of tasks, to assign and delegate, pretty much run everything from meetings all the way up through our client work. And you can get it and try it free for 30 days because you are a listener. So get started at asana.com slash duct tape. That's asana, A-S-A-N-A dot -A -A com slash duct tape. And I think it probably <clears throat> comes with a point of view and maybe even we'd go as far as saying a culture <laughs> that that is, I don't even know how to say this, prepared, I suppose. And and one of the things I see, where I see people really get in trouble is when they ignore or deny or no comment um, a crisis. And, and it seems like they almost make it worse. And I think that that's, that's sort of a, isn't that sort of a culture of, you know, you've, you've also seen the flip side of that. Organizations that said, we screwed up. Here's how we screwed up. Here's how we're fixing it. And it seems like they always come out a little better in the end. 
100%. Um, and you're spot on with culture because, so I always say that, you know, I don't use the language crisis management plan because the plan is typically very siloed. It's very linear. It's very stagnant. It sits on a shelf. It doesn't serve to the, to the caliber that it needs to, in my opinion. Um, whereas what I do with my clients and what the book does is it helps you design a crisis-ready program that you then embed into the culture of your organization. And this, the only way to be able to understand, to use your example, that why no comment doesn't work. No comment doesn't work because people expect information today. And the more you communicate, the more proactively you communicate, the more effectively you communicate, and the sooner you communicate effectively, the less what I call crisis response penalty you're going to suffer because there is an expectation and a demand of that communication today and as well as taking the right actions. Um, so no comment does exactly the opposite. It makes us not trust you, right? Why no comment? There's no, there's no such thing or no excuse for no comment today. There never actually was, but with social media, we are now, you know, every consumer has a voice and we can actually stand up and say, hey, we don't accept your no comments. So, you know, I use the word culture, but to some degree, it probably has as much to do with with um, at least being very clear on what your brand stands for. And I think that that in many cases probably is sort of the filter for like, here's how to handle any situation, isn't it? What your brand stands for, absolutely, especially when you're, if you get caught in like a controversy of some, of some kind, controversy segregates instinctively just in, if that's what it does. Um, so understanding what your brand stands for and the values that connect you to your key stakeholders is essential. And then, you know, making decisions, difficult decisions in alignment with those values as a, as a beacon, um, a guiding beacon is really important. Um, but what it really comes down to is understanding, and I'm going to simplify it here, and it's this simple, it just requires work, is understanding who your stakeholders are. So literally, like, yeah, one of the one of the frustrating points that I have is that oftentimes leadership doesn't have, most often, doesn't have a list of, a consolidated list of who their stakeholders are, who the brand stakeholders are, so those groups. Um, anything from, depending on the organization, but it could be anything from your board to your employees to volunteers to investors to your customers and clients to your vendors um, to, you know, the authorities, government relations, uh, regulators, depending on the industry, right, depending on the nature of your business. But having a consolidated list of exactly who those stakeholder groups are and going through your high-risk scenarios, so your most likely, most high-impact issues and crises, and saying in crisis scenario number one, which we've identified as being the most likely type of negative event to strike us that would have material long-term impact, what would, what will our, or what would our employees expect of us? And are we in a position to make those expectations? What are the key concerns and questions that we can anticipate now and put ourselves in a position to be able to answer seamlessly in the heat of the moment? Same questions apply to the same scenario with your customers, with your vendors, with your investors, with your board of directors, with, you know, et cetera, et cetera. And if you do that exercise, it's a simple exercise that, that requires thought and deliberation and time, but it's still simple and yet it's so profoundly powerful. 
in negative times, but as well as in those positive times, because it brings you closer to those people by understanding them. And you can find then opportunities within your day-to-day business to connect with them and to strengthen those relationships regularly. So so you're literally saying, let's say I'm a nonprofit agency and it comes to light that um, a key employee has been embezzling you know, donor funds. That sounds like a crisis, doesn't it? Um, are, are you literally saying we would sit around, you know, once a quarter or something and actually role play that? Absolutely. Once a quarter is a lot. You don't need to do it once a quarter to role play. But part of embedding a crisis ready culture is going through simulations. And that's great for two things. One, it's great for honing your program, testing your program, finding gaps and weaknesses and areas of vulnerability and strengthening them um, in ways that you cannot identify those gaps and vulnerabilities unless you test it, and you can either test it in an actual event or (laughs) before. Um, And then it also, so being crisis ready means that your entire team instinctively knows how to identify risk, how to assess its material impact on the organization quickly, and then how to respond in a way that actually fosters increased trust and credibility in the brand. Well, that's a skill set, and that's a skill set that you can train and learn as a team and simulations give you that that power and that experience. So I'm wondering if organizations and this um, <clears throat> this might go back to the culture, <laughs> but I wonder. If, I mean, I could see organizations treating this like they might treat a fire drill. You know, oh, we got to do that again. That's so silly. I'm not gonna. You know, again, I know that's I know that's part you know culture of you know here we go again with another thing you know kind of thing, but. But do you ever see the risk of that, that something so remote is being practiced and seems like a waste of time? Uh, That was me, (laughs) because I would never waste my client's time. Um, The organizations that do this type of, and it's scalable, right? So if you're a brand of 10 or a a company of 10, you're not necessarily going to go through a full-fledged crisis simulation, but you should be having this conversation. There's no reason why you shouldn't know what are the most likely high impact types of negative events that can put you out of business ultimately, right? Affect your livelihood and the brand that you've built up over years and that you love. Um, there's no excuse to not know what those are. And then, you know, straight through to the big brands that would go through these types of simulations. The, in order to make it a not waste of time is to define clear objectives right before any type of exercise or before, and whether that's an exercise that of a discussion around a table with leadership or, or your entire team, if you're a brand of 10, um, or straight through to a full-fledged simulation, you're not going to test everything. You should never want to test everything, but you're looking at, hey, how, what are, let's find some gaps in our communication process. You know, how can we strengthen that? And then that translates into everyday strengthening you know, business, everyday ways to strengthen everyday parts of your business as well. Um, so, yeah, so you make it so that it's not a waste of time. It's a strategic spend of time. This may be more of an issue than a crisis, but uh, today, because of social media, you know, in, individuals and competitors can really insert themselves as part of our brand. So how do you, you know, how does an organization prepare for that kind of trolling and just kind of bizarre stuff that goes on now that unfortunately is public. I mean, you know, there's YouTube channels dedicated to, you know, hating on people and companies. I mean, how do you, how do you deal with that? So when I talk about those relationships and how being crisis ready helps you 
you know, understand who your stakeholders are and you can use that as an opportunity, a proactive opportunity every day. The bigger trust that you have built up prior to something negative happening, whether that's, you know, somebody going on YouTube and doing a bad product review that get that is entertaining and garners, you know, thousands upon thousands of views. Um, and that might, quite frankly, could be something that goes viral in the context of what you're used to, right? You can get 100 views and that could be viral to you in context of your everyday baseline and have impact or threaten to have impact or feel as though it could threaten to have impact. Um, if you have a brand that those who matter most to your business know who you are, know what you stand for, know that anytime there's any type of issue, you are on it, your team cares, they're always putting people above profits and bottom line, which is one of my crisis ready tools. If you prove that day in and day out, you gain the benefit of the doubt at the onset of something negative happening. And so when that product review comes out and it's entertaining and it starts garnering attention, those who matter to your business, not the whole world does not matter to your business. Those who matter to your business, the ones that you've identified in that stakeholder mapping exercise, the ones that you work every day to strengthen relationships with, will look at that and turn it off and say, that's a joke, that's not true. And furthermore, they might even, if you do your job right, they could become your brand ambassadors and advocates and come back and fight for you in that, in shutting that down, whereas you, so that your team doesn't even have to. Yeah. And that now we're starting to really get to the opportunity idea of this point of view too, is, is that it, by actually taking that point of view, you're not just buying insurance. You're not just mitigating, you know, risk. You're actually, you're actually looking at it as a way to strengthen the brand, aren't you? Absolutely. And that's, that is why I'm so passionate about what I do because of the, that is the outcome ultimately of becoming crisis ready. So Melissa, um, where can people find out more about crisis ready and the work that you do? MelissaIgnis.com is a great place. I have links to my book there. I also have an online course that walks you through step-by-step. You know, the, I have a crisis, the crisis ready model, which is um, the framework to becoming crisis ready that walks you through step-by-step to help you actually design and embed that culture, that program into your business. Awesome. Well, thanks for stopping by the Duct Tape Marketing Podcast, and uh, hopefully we'll run into you someday out there on the road. Sounds good. Thanks for having me, Dan. 